You're listening to an event from the U.S. Institute of Peace, part of the USIP Podcast Network. For more information about our work around the world, visit usip.org and check us out on social media. Welcome to this event entitled Libya General Elections 2021 Discussion Series with Libyan Leaders. This event is offered in both English and Arabic on the event page. Please choose the player which works best for you. I am Michael Yaffe, and I'm the Vice President for the Middle East and North Africa at the United States Institute of Peace. For those of you who have attended prior USIP events, let me welcome you back. And for those of you who are new to USIP, welcome, and permit me to say a few words about the Institute. USIP was founded by an act of the US Congress in 1984 to serve as an independent nonpartisan institution dedicated to peace building, particularly the prevention, the mitigation, and the resolution of violent conflict. We conduct research, training, convening, and working conflict zones around the world with a field presence in 16 countries. USIP has been working in Libya since 2012, where we conduct research for informing policymakers and practitioners about conflict-related issues and help to build a local peace infrastructure by strengthening the capacity of key stakeholders like women and youth and institutions like the Ministry of Justice. USIP recently began a project with funding from the US State Department to increase election security by working with the Ministry of Interior to strengthen the police's ability to partner and problem solve with communities. In light of the upcoming elections set to begin in December, today's event is a timely conversation with former Minister of Interior, Fatih Bashaga. This event is the first of several USIP will be hosting to provide a neutral platform to Libyans seeking to play a, a critical role, including high office in a future permanent government. These are not just any elections. They will provide Libyans with an opportunity to, to have a, their own say in their representation, including the first elected president of Libya. Elections are just the beginning of the journey though, to set Libya on a path to deal with real issues of governance and sovereignty, like the, presidents, like the presence of mercenaries in the country and foreign meddling, dealing with militias, institutional disunity, minorities, inclusion, and other matters of representative government. In the spirit of dialogue, the leaders we host will have several minutes to give opening remarks, after which I will ask them questions in order to explicate their positions, and then ask the audience to pose questions to the, uh, to the speakers. To the audience, we encourage you to please send questions for former Minister Bashaga through the chat box and we will try to get to as many as we can. You can also send questions through Twitter at hashtag Libya Elections USIP. Now, I am pleased to introduce Fatih Bashaga. Minister Bashaga is originally from the city of Masrata in the west of Libya, where he pursued his secondary and university education. He graduated from the Libyan Aviation Academy in 1984 as a second lieutenant fighter pilot. In 1993, he resigned from the Air Force and started working in the field of trade and import. After the February 17th revolution, he held several important positions and in June 2014, was elected as a member of the Libyan House of Representatives, representing the city of Masara. Mr. Bashaga served as Minister of Interior in the Libyan Government of National Accord, the GNA starting in October 2018. He entered office at a time when the GNA was still dealing with the repercussions of post-election violence in Tripoli, and ISIS had taken over the central city of Sirte. Under his leadership, the ministry achieved many security reforms, strengthened border security, fought corruption, and succeeded in arresting many high-profile criminals, such as human traffickers, drug and oil traffickers, and members of extremist groups. He also played an important role in strengthening relations and enhancing cooperation between Libya and various influential countries. The GNA maintained this position as an internationally recognized government 
while facing deep national political polarization and a very complex post-2014 context in the west of Libya, with an approach to integrate them into the Ministry of the Interior. On March 16, 2021, Mr. Bashkat Bashaga handed over his duties to the Minister of Interior of the new National Unity Government that was formed in March 2021. The GNU has been tasked with leading the country towards long-awaited presidential and parliamentary elections. Mr. Ba Mr. Bashaga is married and has five children, and he dedicates part of his time to, to supporting youth sports initiatives and activities. He is also a scout leader like me and enjoys horseback riding. So with that, let me welcome former Minister Bashaga, and we look forward to your opening remarks. Over to you, sir. Shukran, Sayyid Mark. Shukran, Jazila, Sayyid Michael. I would like to thank USAP for uh, uh, as well as the uh, head, uh, uh, the country director of USAP, Mr. Le, uh, Nate. I would like also to thank all the participants and attendees to this meeting. First of all, we can say that Libya exists in the northern part of the African continent. Libya is a big country comparing to its population, 7 million people. Libya has land borders with six countries and it has a coast or with the the Mediterranean about uh, uh, 1,700 uh, kilometers. And so uh, the geographical positioning of uh, uh, Libya makes us uh, a strategic uh, country and uh, an important player to maintain uh, peace in uh, the continent of Africa or even in uh, the region. Uh, moreover, uh, Libya is uh, about one hour and 15 minutes from uh, Rome. Uh, and it can be a transit country uh, from Africa to uh, the European uh, continent. Libya uh, has a number of uh, latent uh, natural resources. It has uh, oil. Uh, we have um, uh, many days uh, with uh, many sunny days uh, to how to exploit renewable energies. Uh, Uh, Libya uh, discovered uh, oil in 1957, but uh, unfortunately, uh, Libya uh, didn't uh, witness uh, stability right after the discovery of uh, oil. And in 1969, Libya witnessed a coup, a coup that destabilized completely national uh, uh, and uh, social and political uh, uh, rest. And uh, starting from uh, 1970, uh, Muammar Gaddafi nationalized uh, uh, oil and uh, commerce in Libya uh, that uh, impacted uh, the entire Libyan, uh, uh, Libyan uh, society, uh, I think that really made people hate uh, their uh, country and uh, it became a transit country towards uh, uh, Europe. Uh, Libya became a country that could not meet the needs of uh, its uh, population. In uh, uh, the revolution of uh, 2011, 
even we thought or we expected that uh, this revolution would uh, uh, categorically change uh, Libya's situation, but because uh, of uh, the international uh, and uh, regional uh, involvement uh, or intervention in Libya, in addition to the political fragmentation that the country witnessed uh, a few years after the revolution, all of these uh, um, factors uh, exacerbated the situation uh, in, uh, uh, in Libya. Uh, now, uh, Libyans have become uh, uh, poor people within a very, very rich uh, country. Um, uh, uh, now Libya uh, witnesses uh, uh, um, civil wars, uh, fragmentation, uh, and many other uh, social uh, phenomena that uh, are uh, fueling uh, tensions uh, in uh, uh, in Libya. That's why uh, recently we have agreed on uh, uh, agreeing or meeting in Berlin One and Berlin Two to come up with outcomes and how to restore our former uh, uh, life uh, uh, in, in Libya. I believe that uh, these two meetings in Berlin uh, were really, really uh, fruitful. Uh, in addition to that, uh, we have uh, the um, uh, LIDF, uh, the Libyan uh, political uh, dialogue, where we agreed uh, on uh, the date of uh, elections, a legislative or a presidential uh, election, with the involvement, of course, um, of uh, the State, uh, uh, state institutions uh, like uh, the State Council and uh, uh, the Parliament. Uh, just uh, to give you a, a quick history about uh, the political process or track in Libya, I can tell you that we uh, held the Askherat uh, um, uh, meeting, and then we have uh, the um, we formed uh, the um, CDC, the uh, Constitution Drafting Committee, just uh, to uh, come up. Uh, with uh, a completely uh, new institution and to create this harmonization or standardization between uh, the different uh, state inst institution. But unfortunately, because of uh, the political uh, fragmentation and uh, having two parliament, uh, two presidents, uh, two forces uh, at the same time, uh, all of these uh, reasons uh, impeded uh, the economic revitalization or economic recovery uh, in Libya, having uh, two uh, central banks uh, in Libya, where we don't have uh, the decision coming from uh, the central bank in the east or the central bank in uh, the west. We haven't been able also to receive uh, donations, international uh, donations uh, or, uh, or fundings. Moreover, we haven't uh, been able to do an accountability process uh, in Libya, as we have two uh, main uh, centers of uh, powers, and we have overlapping uh, of uh, uh, powers uh, and the total uh, impunity uh, and uh, any uh, government uh, that uh, comes uh, to solve uh, the Libyan situation uh, finds many difficulties as there are two centers um, for uh, two, two centers uh, of powers uh, two clashing centers uh, for uh, powers we always uh, we are always thinking uh, of of um, um, uh, relaunching uh, the main or the vital uh, society, uh, services, including potable drinking uh, or water, electricity, uh, internet. Uh, um, all of these services uh, have been impeded uh, in Libya because of this uh, uh, frag uh, fragmentation. I can tell you, and frankly speaking, that. Uh, um, uh, Libya um, uh, has uh, uh, one of the highest levels uh, of uh, corruption uh, and uh, it's uh, exacerbated right after uh, the revolution, right after 2012, uh, particularly financial uh, corruption. That's why we need to think seriously of economic reform, social reform. As you can see, the exchange rate difference between the US dollar and the Libyan, Libyan dinar. Also, the lack of liquidity have, have made our public 
public uh, service employees and have salaries but do not have money to spend or to live uh, comfortably in their country and made many of them leave the country and to work uh, abroad. That's why we need to think all together now uh, in how to restore our uh, state, inst uh, state institutions to have one and unique uh, legislative authority, the parliament. We have one central bank in Libya, one military apparatus, and one uh, harmonized security uh, institutional apparatus. All of these good things cannot happen without having uh, uh, elections where everyone is involved and everyone can participate uh, to these uh, elections. I can tell you that uh, most of the existing state institutions uh, not taking their uh, uh, their powers or their legitimacy from the people but rather from uh, individuals or from uh, other uh, external uh, countries. That's why we want to have uh, inclusive and comprehensive elections where uh, everyone can uh, be involved and can have a say uh, in the upcoming uh, government or president or any uh, legitimate state uh, institution. Uh, moreover, uh, Libya is uh, full of uh, experts, uh, uh, researchers, uh, uh, scholars uh, in all uh, domains and uh, sectors uh, and uh, can and really um, kick off uh, uh, revitalize, uh, economic revitalization, economic re, uh, recovery programs uh, and plans. We can, uh, thanks to our econom, uh, economy engineers, uh, we can think uh, uh, of how uh, can think of getting rid of uh, rent economy and to think of other alternative uh, alternatives. We can encourage um, the local investors to invest uh, in. Uh, uh, in Libya and to get rid of all forms and sorts of uh, corruption uh, in Libya. I can tell you that once Libya is uh, uh, stabilized again, we can think of administrative reform, financial reform, economic uh, reform, and we enhance tremendously the capacities and capabilities of our central um, bank instead of having two central banks, uh, two legislative powers, and two presidents at the same time. Uh, also, we need uh, to encourage uh, uh, to enhance uh, the private uh, sector um, and uh, how to we restore um, the uh, uh, the economic relation, our uh, financial relationships uh, we used to have uh, before uh, before 2011. I can uh, give you an example. Um, uh, bef uh, before the revolution, uh, Tun Tunisia and uh, us, we had uh, uh, economic transactions uh, that exceeded three billion dollars. Uh, now we no longer have uh, that uh, figure, but to, we hope one day we uh, restore this uh, three uh, billion dollars or even uh, more. Uh, and uh, I can uh, tell you that uh, Libya, um, once it is uh, stabilized, we uh, think or we plan of um, uh, outsourcing uh, employees from three to nine million uh, uh, employees in Libya in the different sectors, whether private or public. Also, um, uh, Libya uh, has a large uh, desert or Sahara that uh, stretches over from the Far East to, um, to uh, the Far West until Egypt, and we can exploit it for many um, uh, for many sorts of economic activities, including uh, power plants, uh, renewable energy, tourist uh, uh, activities, or uh, pro, uh, pro projects. Uh, I can tell you that uh, once uh, Libya is stable and uh, prosperous, uh, I tell you that uh, all the uh, neighboring uh, countries, or even the countries in, in, in the other Mediterranean bank or shores, uh, can be uh, stable uh, again. Libya, once it is uh, stabilized, uh, the other neighboring countries or even the uh, sub-Saharan countries uh, would have um, a positive uh, 
بوزيتيف بوزيتيف امباكت اند كان كاونتر اور فايت تيروريزم اوف اول اتس فورمز هيومن ترافيكينج ويبن ترافيكينج اند هاو وي اراديكيت كومبليتلي تيروريزم ان ذا انتاير ريجن ريجن اند هاو تو كات اول ذا تايز اوف ريجولار مايجريشن فروم ذا سب ساهرن كونتريز to uh, the Mediterranean uh, countries. In addition to the smuggling of oil, they are not only smuggling oil, but they are smuggling the main uh, natural wealth of Libya and this uh, can create many other problems and having people who are involved in money laundering and money smuggling and by doing so we can no longer talk about a stable country or a strong financial country. I would like to be long in my introduction but I can tell you about my experience in the Ministry of, uh, of Interior. Mr. Fez Sarraj um, gave me this uh, uh, responsibility. I assumed it uh, with uh, um, really uh, so much uh, fear. I was really uh, scared of this uh, uh, big uh, responsibility. I asked him to give me the responsibility of uh, the Ministry uh, of uh, Defense, but he insisted on uh, assuming the responsibility of the Minister of uh, Interior uh, along with all the challenges and threats um, that you are familiar to. We have a completely, uh, or during uh, between 2012 and 2016, uh, we had a completely uh, security apparatus. Uh, it was uh, crumbling day after day. But uh, my love for my country and this uh, sense of feeling of responsibility uh, encourage me also um, many of uh, my colleagues and other ministries uh, encourage me to assume uh, this responsibility and uh, uh, I um, looked at the ministry not as someone coming from my region Sarata, but from someone who is Libyan and who is representing all the Libyan uh, tribes uh, races um, and uh, uh, communi uh, com communities. I insisted on uh, providing Libyans uh, with social justice, with security, and uh, we succeeded uh, to reconstruct uh, and restructure the Ministry of Interior uh, uh, in, in, in Libya. Uh, and uh, I can tell you that uh, many people worked with me who are really uh, trustworthy um, uh, people and who really wanted to bring reforms uh, to Libya. This is all that I want to say. I give you back the floor. Thank you so much. Thank, thank you, Mr. Minister. That was a great uh, overview of the, both the challenges that Libya faces uh, and the new government will face, but also many of the uh, ideas that you have for how to uh, focus energies on re economic reform, financial reform, political reforms. Um, I'd like to begin, though, by focusing on the elections for a few minutes. Um, and in particular, I'd just first begin with saying, what is your assessment of whether the elections will actually happen on time? Uh, as we know, presidential elections are scheduled for December, and hopefully soon thereafter will be parliamentary elections. How do you see it? I think uh, so far we still have uh, a good opportunity to uh, hold these elections uh, on the due date, uh, but uh, we are waiting for the HNEC to uh, develop uh, the uh, exact timetable for the elections uh, to be adopted by the parliament and to officially launch the election. Uh, uh, however, I th still think, as I said, that the 24th of December is still a possible date for the elections. Great. And um, as you know, we are very interested in uh, preventing election-related violence um, as uh, at the elections and throughout the country. Um, what do you see as some of the measures 
that should be taken in order to ensure a peaceful election cycle, including before, during, and after election day. Uh, now, there is a, a keen desire and a keen momentum uh, within the communities for these elections. And when there is such popular endorsement in Libya, no power, no matter uh, how powerful this uh, uh, power can stand in front of them. And this popular opinion or popular momentum is being supported by the international community uh, to go ahead with these elections and we are uh, witnessing a lot of or seeing a lot of support worldwide so i think no one can can uh, obstruct the process or uh, sabotage the process we we do have fears and it is natural and human to uh, have fears but uh, i don't think that uh, libya uh, has any interest in not holding these elections uh, maybe there are some people who uh, have their vested interests in the obstruction but uh, we have have to keep our sight on the interest of the state on reforming uh, Libya and unifying the country. So, in my opinion, the uh, political minority that rejects uh, this election, uh, as I said, have vested interests or maybe they, they have positions in the current uh, government and they don't want to leave this position of power. And uh, uh, I was one of uh, those who uh, who, who run, who, who uh, expressed my desire to run for back in Geneva. Uh, I said this, that this uh, uh, phase uh, now is critical to move Libya from a state of fragmentation and division to a state of uh, unification. And uh, I ran uh, as a candidate knowing very well the challenges. I uh, know that Libya now is in a bottleneck and uh, uh, we are we are at the abyss, so uh, we have to fight back, and we have to work hard, uh, uh, because Libya cannot stay in this uh, quagmire, in this uh, very bad situation. Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, uh, you raise a number of issues here, including the fact that the election process is still yet to be finalized including the registration process. But um, if I could be so forthright and pick up on your last comment, do you actually plan on running for the presidency? Yes, uh, I want to run for the presidency. And should uh, HNEC uh, uh, open the door for registration, I will present my uh, nomination and I hope I will be uh, able to meet all the conditions or criteria and uh, uh, hence I will be able to run. Um, these elections are very important and I have been working for five or six months uh, now to encourage people to subscribe to this process and to support this electoral process. Great, great. And, you know, if you won and you succeed, you will become Libya's first elected president. And I wonder if you could just kind of give us some of your general thoughts about what it would mean to be the first president of Libya. What would be some of your priorities and what is your vision of leadership um, as the first president of Libya? Uh, uh, yes, indeed. It's uh, the first free uh, elections in Libya. It's will, it will be a historical uh, moment, a milestone. And I hope and I pray to God to, be, to have the honor to be elected. And if I'm not elected, I will also accept the results and I will be very happy to those who uh, or to the person who wins. Uh, regarding my priorities, I think we have to reassure all uh, the fabric of the Libyan community, we have to uh, address them directly and to reassure them that the future Libyan state will be governed uh, uh, in accordance with justice 
and uh, equality and uh, all Libyans will be equal in front of the law and uh, will be part of this national project. We, of course, uh, need uh, international assistance, uh, chiefly American assistance and support to help Libya uh, move from this uh, uh, situation uh, into a situation to prosperity that is and regarding my personal priorities i think it's security because security is the key for prosperity and economic recovery uh, security will be the starting point for reforms for service reforms or also for uh, systematic ref or system reforms, financial systems, the economic system, and uh, the um, restoration of economy, um, the restoration or the recovery uh, of the level of economy will help also and uh, reinforce security because when people work, they tend to be uh, they tend to reject insecurity. I think this is a summary of my priorities, hopefully. So, your mic, sir. Sorry. The mic. Sorry about that. Um, in your opening remarks, you also mentioned a deep, deep concern about fragmentation within the country. And um, I was just wondering uh, if you could talk a little bit more about what you would do to bring more unity to the country. Uh, how would you unify the state institutions, which you have mentioned there have been two parallel institutions in the past. Um, how would you face the challenges of also the uh, centralization of power uh, as it has developed in Tripoli? How would you devolve the institutions based in Tripoli to other parts um, of Libya? Um, uh, we, as I understand that, you know, there's deep grievances throughout the country about too much power being centralized just within Tripoli. So I was wondering how you would address those kind of issues. Uh, I think our current situation now is better than one year ago. I think the, uh, the situation in uh, this month, uh, in October 2021, is better than October 2020. It was a, a total polarization, an open war, and uh, uh, obstructed movement from the East and the West. And uh, we in the West, we cannot go to the South, for example. But uh, now there is a um, air movement, uh, planes are flying from Benghazi to Tripoli and vice versa, and also roads are opened to, uh, to the south and to the east and to the west. So the general opinion or the, the general feeling is different also, and people have better vision. Uh, we, we suffer from uh, bad media. We don't have a national patriotic media. Uh, all the Arab-speaking or Arabic-speaking media or the Libyan speaking media is being uh, used and manipulated by external forces and external countries. And this is not serving Libyans. But after the end of the war and the success, the breakthrough of the five plus five uh, committee, and uh, here I would like to thank the UN and the uh, USA and Mr. Norton, uh, His Excellency, he has done a lot to convince countries of Berlin 1 and Berlin 2 conferences. And uh, this restored trust between the East and the West. And uh, now we have a clearer vision. And this is a propitious environment for unification of institutions. We know that the concentration of power in Tripoli has been detrimental not only to the East uh, or to Sabha or Tobruk, but also to Tripoli, detrimental to Tripoli itself. And uh, um, in Tripoli, we uh, notice that uh, uh, authorities from 69 until today has given um, 
importance to Tripoli or central power to uh, in Tripoli, but we should not accept that uh, power is concentrated in one city or even in the capital. We have to support and empower local authorities and uh, adopt decentralization or uh, decentralized government that uh, empowers subnational bodies uh, in order to uh, empower uh, governorates and uh, municipalities and to have more budget and encourage them to uh, and equip them uh, with tools and the resources so that they can levy taxes, collect resources and start infrastructure projects in their communities and their regions. We know that uh, regions differ from one place to the other in Libya, so that has to be geographically specific and uh, this can only reassure Libyans. Um, let me tell you something. Uh, nine years ago, I went to uh, an area called Zella in uh, Libya, and it is a, uh, it's just uh, oil fields. All, uh, all of it is oil fields. So when I saw this uh, area, I was really sad uh, because um, it was a very uh, it was very harmed by the industry, by the oil industry. So why don't we uh, use some of the uh, uh, money we get from this industry to revitalize and to uh, give back to these areas, to these communities? Um, we, what we are seeing now is that uh, there is a migration because of uh, uh, this phenomena, because um, because of uh, pollution and because of the bad impact of industry. So we have to fight this and uh, uh, urge people to go and to live in the south and to live in all the regions. Uh, I hope I did. I covered all the points or questions you raised, sir. Thank you. Thank you. You have covered a fair amount of them for sure. Um, I'm going to try to keep picking up on some of the things you raised, though. And one of them was migration. Um, and in light of recent events in which migrants in Tripoli were arrested and human rights organizations accused authorities of human rights violations, what should be the new elected government's approach to the issues surrounding the migration file? As we know, this is an issue which is somewhat related to the political and economic marginalization, especially in the southern um, Faison region. So how would you deal with those things? First of all, I think this is a very important point and the government should uh, consider that this is a priority during its first days. Um, uh, the, uh, there should be a program to secure the southern borders, southern borders of more than 4,000 kilometers. And we have projects that are ready, actually, or plans that are ready to launch projects to secure the 4,000 kilometers. I think it uh, requires 4 billion uh, as a budget, and it needs to stretch uh, or to, to, to last for four to five years. Uh, but this is very important. This is a crucial to make Libya uh, clean from terrorism and to organ uh, and organized crime. Uh, in addition to that, we have to launch development projects, um, industrial zones uh, uh, and commercial zones in Sabha in the south, also build roads uh, between Sabha and Nazer and other uh, sub-Saharan countries to uh, create a hub, an economic hub in the region. Uh, Libya uh, has more, more than 50 airports and uh, terminals, and these uh, we have to capitalize on these airports and terminals to boost economy and commerce and to link between Africa and Europe and even North America and South America. So Libya is uh, in a very uh, privileged position in, uh, uh, and uh, we are as if, as if we are in the center of the world. Um, 
we go to the uh, to the uh, extreme east, and we can go also to the extreme west uh, with the same uh, period of time, and uh, this can generate uh, millions uh, of uh, jobs, uh, not only for Libyans but also for for our neighbors and neighboring countries. And I think uh, reducing their problems or uh, dealing with their problems will uh, have a good impact on us and on Europeans. Um, in Libya, we have good infrastructure, we have hotels, we have farms, we have uh, um, all the needed infrastructure, but we just need to uh, restore it. Maybe we need international partners that can work with us on restoration and rehabilitation so that we generate opportunities for Libyans and also for uh, Africans. Uh, Libya has banks in Africa also. Um, we have a lot of capital that needs to be invested in Africa in order to alleviate the suffering of our um, uh, African brothers and sisters. And um, we, have, uh, we have more than 800,000 uh, African nationals uh, currently in Libya. And uh, we have worked a lot uh, in the Ministry of Interior in the past in order to um, uh, to keep them in Libya and uh, not to allow them to cross the Mediterranean because it's a very perilous journey, indeed. Well, great. Um, I have just a couple more questions, and then I'm going to open it to the audience. But since you uh, raised the issue of um, uh, Libya-foreign relations, uh, I wanted to stick with that for a moment and ask you that you know Libya signed uh, the GNU the, and before that the GNA had signed several different agreements with foreign countries um, with implications on regional affairs, including like the maritime boundaries with, with Turkey. Um, and in 2018, Libya signed an MOU with China to bring China's Belt and Road Initiative to Libya. Um, as, as well as there's the issue of um, foreign fighters who remain in Libya. So I wonder if you could briefly talk about what you would do to ensure the withdrawal of farm fighters and what you envision that would be the priorities of the new president and government, um, and uh, as well as um, how well the, will the government uh, uphold previously signed agreements. Well, uh, regarding these uh, agreements and uh, memoranda, uh, if you mean the uh, government of uh, national unity, there are uh, many agreements actually, but uh, these agreements are just memoranda of understandings. Uh, uh, and uh, they, uh, they were just political or of a political nature. However, what we are interested in is a sustainable and solid partnership that is based on mutual interest. It should not be uh, an agreement of a political nature to uh, increase the time or the period of uh, this government or that government. And this uh, uh, cannot be sustainable, actually. Uh, uh, the salaries of Libyans, for example, are very um, uh, 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 are not very are not high at all. I think they are just 50 billion uh, Libyan dinars, and uh, uh, if we if we convert this uh, to the dollar. Uh, it will be an insignificant uh, uh, amount of money. So uh, how can we uh, meet uh, the uh, terms of these agreements with billions of dinars? I think this uh, cannot stand and uh, partnerships or agreements should be based on uh, mutual interest, on uh, sustainable investments in the future and uh, our relations with um, uh, should be fine, should be uh, based on uh, mutual interest with all countries and regarding the forces or the fighters uh, that are on the Libyan territories or Libyan soil, 
Uh, as I told you, Libya wants to invest, wants to uh, restore its economy. And uh, we cannot do that with the presence of these fighters on the Libyan territory. We cannot think of economy, we cannot think business while we have uh, these fighters or forces on the ground. It's, uh, it's just impossible, mathematically speaking. Great, thank you for that. So I have, I have a question about um, um, armed groups, um, but I also want to start taking questions from the audience as well. So I'm going to kind of marry some of these together and pose them to you. Um, Dr. Abdel bin Amran uh, from the Institute of, Inter of International and Strategic Studies in Paris asks this question, Mr. Fatih, what is the vision that you see regarding armed groups, how to build security institutions with the presence of arms groups, including radical ones, and how to promote a national reconciliation in such a situation. Um, so it's, it's, it's this whole this, this issue of how would you dismantle militias? Uh, how would you unify the army as well as you drop, as you approach this security issue? So when we first uh, witnessed COVID-19 uh, epidemic, uh, some countries uh, uh, allowed, uh, according to their uh, laws, uh, they have uh, the people have the permit to buy weapons. Why? Because. Uh, when uh, people uh, are afraid, uh, they go to buy weapons uh, in these countries and uh, they can even store uh, weapons. So when we first, uh, uh, when uh, the epidemic started, many countries, specifically these countries, um, witnessed really um, economic uh, crumbling or a drop. So uh, their peoples uh, bought, uh, we uh, bought uh, weapons. Uh, the, uh, that's why um, huge, uh, huge amounts of uh, weapons were smuggled uh, to Libya. And uh, people now, they are keeping their weapons in Libya. Why? Because uh, they do not have uh, a clear uh, economic uh, vision uh, in Libya. People do not have uh, liquidity. Uh, the exchange rates are really, really high. People are afraid of the future. Uh, they're afraid of uh, their stores, uh, their economies. So they keep their weapons at home. People still have weapons, even they are peaceful ones. That's why instead of telling people, give back uh, uh, your uh, weapons, we can provide them with other alternatives, like uh, thinking of uh, real economic growth uh, plans, uh, and how also to uh, reconcile the relationship between a security agent and the citizens, and uh, how we can encourage the security institutions uh, or the entire security apparatus uh, uh, to work effectively uh, in um in the, in the country. Secondly, how can we give uh, trust or how can we entrust uh, our uh, youth? Maybe many of them can be recruited to our uh, security uh, institution or to the defense uh, institution. Of course, according to training uh, uh, norms and standards or even in full, in full compliance with international standards. Uh, secondly, the state should uh, start, and this is what we already um, uh, started uh, uh, two years ago in collaboration with the UK, and how to uh, build uh, factories. Uh, and how to uh, have uh, small uh, factories about uh, the weapons, uh, fingerprint, uh, fingerprints, and to give uh, permits uh, for uh, permits for people uh, to have uh, one or two um, types of weapons, and all the other weapons should be given back uh, to the state. To, to the state, and how we can uh, train our youth uh, to join uh, the security apparatus of the 
defense apparatus. Uh, thirdly, instead of uh, focusing more on securing, maybe you can, when we provide people with uh, alternatives uh, for economic prosperity, economic growth, uh, they will no longer think of joining armed groups or militias. People, when they have uh, a daily sustenance, when they, they, when they have uh, uh, economic and social stability, they will no longer think or need to keep their weapons home or to use even weapons. So it's not about collecting weapons, but how we can direct our youth, our communities to some projects through which they can revitalize their formal lives. Well, thank you. Thank you for addressing that. Um, I'm going to try to um, put together uh, uh, question. Um, Chris Blanchard of the Congressional Research Service asks, what do you believe is the proper powers of a presidency in the legislature? And are elections in the absence of an agreed constitutional arrangement likely to result in institutional clashes? And Hamid um, Awada asks, what are the authorities of the next president if we said that the elections actually will happen? So there's this question about what is presidential power? What, are the, what do you see as the, the, uh, the positive sides? And where do you see the limitations on presidential power in particular, and in particular in relationship to the legislature? So can you repeat the question, what are the powers, prerogatives of the president, or what are the criteria of the president? Uh, it, this is a question related to the powers of the presidency. Uh, as, I, as we said, this will be the first elected president. What is your vision for the, the, the the extent of the powers of the president and what limitations do you see being on the powers? And I, I might also throw in one more part to that, which somebody had also asked, I think from, uh, from one of the media channels, is asked about your vision with regard well, some, um... respect for freedom of expression and respect for private media. So again, it's the issues of what are the, how do you envision the powers of the presidency and what do you envision as it's uh, in that relationship to the legislature as well? Okay. Uh, so about uh, the uh, powers, legislative powers, or the general powers that any president, any future president should uh, have, uh, I think that uh, next president should be a representative, one who represents uh, the Libyans uh, internally and internationally. Uh, the president is uh, the supreme leader of uh, armed forces, the supreme commander of the armed forces. Forces. The president is the one who appoints uh, the prime minister uh, and to be added uh, um, by uh, the uh, uh, parliament. The president should head uh, the intelligence uh, and the president should uh, declare the state of uh, emergency after uh, the uh, approval of uh, the parliament. Uh, uh, I, I think these are the main uh, powers uh, of uh, the, uh, the president. President, uh, um, we hope to have in the future. In addition to that, uh, at the social or ethical uh, level, I think uh, the president should be like a, a father for uh, the family, should believe in all the projects that can lead uh, to the prosperity, social, economic, cultural prosperity of uh, uh, Libya. Also, the president should believe uh, in the citizenship, the uh, main principle. Uh, uh, principle of uh, citizenship. In addition to that, uh, the uh, next president should be a courageous, audacious one who can make really difficult uh, decision. Also, the president should be um, uh, the one who will welcome all uh, international uh, in, in investors, uh, should be uh, 
a consensual uh, person between all the contentious parts uh, uh, in Libya. Of course, uh, we cannot rely solely on the president, but rely on the president and the other state institutions and our international partners and friends. Thank you. That was a very concise answer for a difficult question in a way. Um, so I'm going to marry these two questions together where um, um, a, a question that says, um, let me see if I can find this for you here. Um, so there's a question of saying um, a concern about this issue of bringing unity to the country. And so this one question from Nabil says, when you become president, will you recognize the rights and identity of those in the Eastern region? And what are the steps that you will take to do this? And also this is applicable to pl uh, place other places which have faced historical marginalization, such as in the South. هذا هذا يعني هذا يعني ليس يعني هذا هدف اساسي او شرط اساسي. I think it is it is not it is more than a principle more than a goal. I think it is the ultimate goal of any future president. I believe or I think that the Libyan president should be the president of all. All ethnicities, minorities in the east and in the south. We cannot talk about a president while having people not exercising their rights, not enjoying all of their innate rights, including social justice and fair economic opportunities. Thank you. Um, one final question, and then I'm going to ask for your uh, final remarks. Um, Rachel Arnold writes, how will the government of Libya continue to improve the electoral process to ensure that all persons with disabilities have a voice in this important decision-making opportunity? سيد مايك أود أن أشكرك على هذا السؤال لأن سؤال سؤال مهم جدا. I think this is a a very important question because the people with special needs back in the time of Gaddafi were were taken care of, but then after that they were neglected. Now the state does not pay any attention to these people, and families are families with. Disabled people or children are suffering and are going through a hard time and uh, people with uh, special needs uh, and with disabilities um, do not enjoy any uh, facilities or any uh, ease of access, whether in uh, state institutions, uh, buildings or, um, or, or venues or premises, that is. So they suffer a lot to even have access to, um, to these premises. So they, as I said, they are utterly neglected uh, and ignored uh, to their uh, needs. Um, and uh, they suffer from the tender age until their adulthood. And, uh, um, and I think their number in Libya uh, amounts to uh, six, 600,000 
more or less. But for those who have uh, dire uh, disabilities, they are uh, 100,000. I met with uh, groups representing them, and uh, they uh, said or they told me that they need uh, reforms at the legislative uh, level, but also uh, at the infrastructure. And the Libyan state should assume its responsibility to to uh, uh, to provide them with uh, insurance and with the, uh, the due care they deserve, similar to what happens in other countries, and they also should uh, enjoy a, a pension or a financial uh, bonus that may be derived from uh, oil revenues so that they can sustain themselves. And, but this has to be, uh, has to start with legislative reforms first. And uh, uh, there is a law, uh, Libya currently exists in Libya, that states or stipulates that each Libyan institution should employ or hire five, at least 5% people with disabilities. So I will work, uh, if elected, I will work uh, to enforce uh, this law and reform uh, the legislation so that uh, the Libyan state meets the requirement uh, of the needs of uh, uh, the disabled and uh, we alleviate the suffering. We don't have even special schools uh, for, for this category. They go to Egypt or Jordan um, and this is very costly, very expensive, they cannot continue or, or finish their studies. And this is a disaster for Libya, for a state that is rich like Libya. Thank you. Well, Mr. Bashaga, I want to thank you on behalf of USIP and the audience that joined us today for your forthright answers, for your willingness to, to provide us with your thoughts um, with regard to what you would do if you are elected president. Uh, we wish you the best in the election. And we wanna thank you just once again for joining us today. I also wanna thank um, those who helped support the program today, Nate Wilson, our country manager for Libya, Ezra Abakush, who also works for us, the AV team, and of course, Hamza, who helps uh, us interpret so well. And I, um, for the audience, I invite you to look forward to future uh, episodes in this series in which we will be talking with other potential leaders of the future of Libya. So for everybody, again, thank you very much. Thank you, Mr. Bashaga, and I wish everybody a good day. Thank you for listening to this event. If you'd like to listen to more events or explore our other podcasts, visit usip.org forward slash podcasts. Thank you.